0: Man, That's beautiful. Well, this morning we begin a new sermon series called Family Matters, uh, learning what God wants for you and your family. And so here's the deal. We're just going to cut to the chase. Every family has problems. Every family has drama. And there's no drama like family drama. But here's the good news. God actually has an explanation in His Word for why our families have problems. The Christian faith provides an explanation for really what the root cause is of, for all of our family drama. And better yet, the, the gospel actually provides the solution for all of your family problems. And so, what we're gonna do over the next several weeks is we're gonna take a look at some household codes that are in the New Testament, that are couched in the book of Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter. We'll take a look at some other passages as well. And we're going to take a look at what these passages of Scripture offer us in, in terms of God's design for the family. So, I want this message and this sermon series to be biblically faithful, to be beneficial and practical to you and your family, and ultimately exalting Christ. And so, this morning we're going to take a look at one specific part of the family. And we're going to take a look at husbands. And so, husbands, let me encourage you that my my job today is not to browbeat you, uh, but actually to encourage you. And as I'm talking primarily to the men, uh, the women and children are welcome to listen in as there will be insights and nuggets of truth for you to chew on as well. So, this morning, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, guess what? You can g- grab a red Carillion Bible. Carillion Red Pew Bible. Isn't that right, Ella Claire? A Carillion Red Pew Bible. She told me that's the color of our Pew Bibles. Uh, you can turn to page 979 in our red Carillion, Carillion Red Pew Bibles, and we will read along together this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, to get us started this morning. What's amazing is that the book of Ephesians contains one of the the heftiest passages of Scripture in the New Testament regarding the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination. So the Apostle Paul goes from this this beautiful discussion of pure orthodoxy and doctrine to practice and how it makes its its way out in the course of our Christian lives and our families. So hear God's word this morning. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work among us this morning, as the Holy Spirit will use your word as a surgical knife upon our souls and our relationships today. May we not feel poked or prodded, but may you simply slice and cut to heal, not to harm. Convict where we need to be convicted. Conform where we need to be conformed. And comfort us where we need to be comforted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Husbands, you matter. Now, if you listen to the culture, you may not be convinced of that fact. For example, if you just took a look at sitcoms over the last 40 or even 50 years, you may not be convinced that husbands matter. You can pick your sitcom, whether it be married with children, friends, even if you go back to... uh, Even the Andy Griffith Show at times. As you take a look at husbands and how men are portrayed, they're typically portrayed as dumb, clueless, beer-guzzling, distant, dead dads and husbands. And so if you listen to the culture, what you're convinced of is this fact, that husbands really don't matter. We're just kind of wallpaper in the background of the family, or we're just obstacles that get in the way. I think the culture has added up, has added up to the ante and said, you know, now with the, the conversation, the discussions about you can just choose your gender. It says to men that you really don't matter. But that's not true. And the reason that's not true is because that is not what God says. God's word is in absolute contrast and contradiction to what the culture is saying to us currently. And so whenever there's a conflict between God, the Bible, and the culture, we need to listen to God's word rather than what the culture has to say to us. So gentlemen, I want to encourage you today that you matter. Now, you matter baseline because you're created in the image of God, but that really isn't the focus of Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. The focus of Ephesians chapter 5 is that you matter because you matter to God. God has given you a specific privilege. God has given you a specific responsibility in the leadership of the home. Do you know what that privilege is? Do you know what that responsibility is? it's this. It's a very high calling. Husbands, you matter because you represent Jesus. Amen? That's what Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The scriptures are explicitly clear here that the reason why husbands matter in the home is because husbands are given the, the tall task, the high calling of loving their wives in a way that is analogous to, that is in comparison to the way Christ loves his church. And so if you're like me, gentlemen, the, your first knee-jerk reaction is, oh great, right? There may be days when I think I'm good, but I'm never that good, right? And so let me quickly address what are the five fears of most men. Most men fear failure. Wives, you need to know that about your husband. Men fear being incompetent. They fear being weak. They fear being considered irrelevant. And they fear looking foolish. And so I hesitate to point out to us what Christ commands of us. Because I know it can poke and prod at those fears that men have. So so gentlemen, here's my encouragement to you today. Let's just take a look first at God's design for you in the home. Let's take a look at the picture that God has. And here's my encouragement to you today. I know you don't measure up. I don't measure up. No man in this room perfectly measures up to this standard. But here's the good news. The scriptures have an explanation for why we don't fully measure up to this standard. And the scriptures provide a solution, a prescription, a remedy for the times when we fell. So if you'll just lean in with me this morning into God's word and stick with me. God's word is going to address your fears and your frustrations. So let's take a look together first at what is the picture. By the way, isn't this kind of the picture of what you picture the perfect family? Kind of a leave it to beaver kind of thing. Uh, Melissa Van Cleef, she designed this. She's our new operations manager. And I said, I'm looking for something that's kind of the 50s vintage. And this is what she came up with. So I, I think it's great. Here's the first picture that we have of what God's design is for husbands in the family. You are to love your wives unconditionally. You're to love your wives unconditionally. We see that in two verses in this passage. First, in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How does Christ love the church? Unconditionally sins, disobedience, frustrations, and all, isn't that the heart of the gospel? That in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 4, 10. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. How does Christ love the church? He loves us unconditionally. Gentlemen, that is what Christ calls us to do as husbands as we represent Jesus and God's design for the family and God's design for the home we are to love our wives unconditionally so guys girls listen to this as J.I. Packer says God's design for the family is ministry not tyranny did you hear that God's design for the home and how it's supposed to operate in terms of leadership is not tyranny, but ministry. And that ministry is to be conducted in an attitude of unconditional love. In this verse, verse 25, the word love is an imperative. That means it's a command. Gentlemen, it's not a suggestion about whether or not we love our wives but we're commanded by Christ to love our wives. And and the Greek tense that's used here is a present tense, which means it's a continual, habitual action. It's a continual, habitual commitment. Not that we just committed to love our wives on on our wedding day, but we're every day continuously, habitually committing to love our wives unconditionally. And then he echoes it again in verse 28 when he says, "...in the same way husbands should love their wives..." as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. John Calvin puts it this way. He says that the Apostle Paul is picking up on the words of Jesus, that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. So the Apostle Paul and our Lord Jesus are both admitting what is has our, our sin bend of our hearts. That by nature we are selfish people. By nature we think about ourselves first. To quote Ter- Terrell Owens years ago, I love me some me. What... What John Calvin says about this passage is he says this, that our Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul both know that by nature we love ourselves. And so what the Scriptures are telling us is that we cannot love ourselves unless we love our wives. And John Calvin uses this word. He says, a man who does not love his wife is a monster. So what's the design for God's family? Husbands, you matter. You represent Jesus. And the first thing you're to do is to love your wife unconditionally. When I was in seminary, I was forced to take a practical theology class called uh, pastoral counseling. And I took that class by Dr. Frank Kick, who was one of my favorite professors. I grew very close to him before he passed. Many of you may know that name Kick because Frank Kick's father was Marcellus Kick who is the editor of Christianity Today for many years. In our pastoral counseling class uh, Frank Kick was going through these household codes and he was in the book of Ephesians one day as he was lecturing and he said he made a comment that offended every man sitting in the room. As he looked at us and he said, you know, gentlemen, we're all ministers in training. He said, you know what the problem is with you and your your relationship with your wife? Here's the problem. Most of you are still in lust with your wife. You're not in love with your wife. It offended me. I was one of the... The men in the class that argued with Frank Kick about that fact. And I said, how dare you say that? We all are committed Christians. We're all committed to our wives. And how in the world can you say that, that we're more in lust with our, li- with our wives than in love with our wives? And then he asked me, he said, how long have you been married? I said about seven or eight years. And I'll never forget what he said. Call me back after you've been married ten years or more. So I stuck that in the back of my head. By the time Jennifer and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary, Dr. Kick was dead. He had gone on to be with the Lord. But here's what I noticed happened. Something changed. My wife is still beautiful. And I'm still attracted to her. But God designed us to be different. She's a night owl, and I'm a morning person. And it's never gonna change. But here's what happened. And it's happened over the last couple months at 9 o'clock PM when my eyes are fading to black. And she's beginning to get her second wind <laughs> as she turns on the vacuum cleaner <laughs> within earshot of me. We no longer argue about it, but we smile and laugh. And I say, enjoy, and she says, likewise. What happened? Our love changed. Friends, Christ calls us to love our wives unconditionally, no matter what, through thick or thin, because that's the way Christ loves us. That isn't the only picture of our love for our wives. It should only be unconditionally, but it should also be tenderly. I know some of you are thinking, love me tender, love me true. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm actually going to the Scriptures, verse 29. Here's what he says, the Apostle Paul. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. It's very interesting that that word there, nourish, is the same word that's used to communicate parents that are nourishing their children to maturity. Now, I'm not saying that we belittle our wives, gentlemen, but that we we comfort them, we care for them. And then that word cherish there is the word that means to show affection, to show tender love. One Greek lexicon even translates the word cherish as pamper. How many of you wives would like for your husbands to pamper you? Yes, That's, that's a great picture of what's pictured here. Husbands, you matter because you represent Jesus. And how does Jesus treat his church? He pampers her. He gives us the sacraments that are visible signs of the gospel truth. He gives us the Holy Spirit that lives and indwells within us, that comforts us as we grieve. He pampers us by giving us brothers and sisters in Christ to know that we're not alone in this Christian walk. Our Lord Jesus pampers us. Gentlemen, not only are we called to love our wives unconditionally, but we're called to love them tenderly. Now we're in May, the month of May, which means we're heading to wedding season By the way, I don't enjoy doing weddings. I'll tell you the reason why sometime another day. But if I agree to do your wedding, know this, I love you. Okay? If I agree to do it, I I love you. But I'm going to give you a, a case for why I think you should have traditional vows in your wedding. Now this is Tanner, not the Bible, so understand that I'm giving you my opinion. And if you wrote your own vows, I'm not judging you. I'm not Yelling at you, you you had your own prerogative, okay? So this is just perfectly my opinion, although I think there's a biblical foundation for it. What do the traditional wedding vows say? It says this, I, Tanner, take you, Jennifer, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish." From this day forward until death, do us part. One of the main reasons that I love the traditional wedding vows is that they are saturated in Scripture. And they are saturated in the household codes of the New Testament. And here's what I have seen happen at weddings in the middle of the hot summer even while families are in the midst of heated arguments. When I served as an associate pastor under a senior pastor, I would attend the weddings, and I didn't always assist. But here's what I noticed would happen. As the couple was gathered before God and the witnesses to make this covenant commitment to one another, I I would sit in the back and I would see families and couples that I was counseling in marriage, that I knew what was going on in their lives, even though other people in the church did not know. And here's what I noticed would happen as these traditional wedding vows were read. A couple that had been distant for months suddenly would begin inching towards one another even in the wedding ceremony. They might even begin to hold hands. The husband might begin to slip his arm around his wife and his wife might even look up at him and smile or if you're Jennifer, look down at him and smile. Uh Even when we're seated. Uh, But what was happening there, without anyone even communicating it, without even the minister himself communicating it, what was happening that day as the couple was gathered for a covenant ceremony to make covenant vows to one another before God and the witnesses? Do you know what was happening in the rest of the church? A covenant renewal ceremony. Because the couples that were in the midst of arguments, in conflict, we're reminded these are the unconditional yet tender covenant vows we also made before God and some of these same witnesses. That's why I will argue for traditional wedding vows. Because it reminds us that we're not only to love our wives unconditionally, but tenderly. Think about it this way, gentlemen. Some of you have daughters or you want daughters. How do you want your future son-in-law to treat your daughter? Do you want him just to put up with her? Or do you want him to pamper her? Then here's what I would encourage you to do. Treat your wife, your bride... The way you want your son-in-law or future son-in-law to treat your daughter. Which is the way Christ treats me and you. The way Christ treats his church is that he cherishes us. He tenderly loves us and cares for us. Third part of this picture is that as we represent Jesus in our home, we're also to lead spiritually lead spiritually. Look at verse 26 and 27. So the husbands are love their wives as Christ loved the church that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Very interesting what's happening here. We, we talk about baptism being a picture of our spiritual washing of sin. But notice here what does the washing in this context. It's the word of God. That sanctifies our souls. As Christ leads the church, gentlemen, we are called to lead our wives spiritually. Here's the reality. Most men feel incompetent doing so. Most men are afraid of failing to do so. In fact, most men are afraid of looking foolish doing so. So, wives, I want to encourage you today that if your husband struggles to pray with you, you need to know that about him. That his nature is that he's afraid of looking like a fool in front of you. He's afraid of looking incompetent. He's afraid of the fact that maybe even you were raised in the church and you have a better understanding of doctrine and the Bible and factoids about Scripture than he does. So encourage him reminds me of one of my friends who came to faith in christ after a witness to him for a number of years and uh we were at we were at lunch and uh his wife asked him to pray before the meal he did not he was not raised in the church and and he literally prayed the best prayer he could say and so we all closed our eyes and he said lord bless these sinners while they eat their dinners amen Okay? That was literally the best prayer he could come up with. But it was genuine, it was sincere, and his wife, I remember she just smiled at him and said, thank you, honey, for saying that prayer. We're called to lead spiritually. To what end? Verse 27 gives us to what end. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Women at the older... We all get, we worry about that word wrinkle, and so there's no doubt that the wrinkle is referring to physical beauty, but it denotes in this context spiritual perfection. How many of you have ever heard of the book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas? Anybody ever hear of that book? Okay, just, okay, me and Bo, uh, me and Bo Rollerson have heard of it. But uh, we did a study through that book a number of years ago. One of the churches I had the privilege of serving, and I'll never forget, like, there was almost a revolt in the church over the book. Okay, because it it took a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. And here's what the whole premise of the book is that maybe God gave you marriage not to make you happy, but to make you more holy. Yeah, a lot of people came week one. Week two, attendance dropped significantly. But here's what they didn't stick into the marriage class to see. As that God makes as God makes us more holy and our walk with Him as God makes us more holy in our marriage relationship, guess what one of the byproducts is? We become more happy. We become more content. So, gentlemen, I want to encourage you to lead your house spiritually, and you don't have to pray for hours on end. We have these little today devotionals that are placed either in the North X or down near the office complex. I would encourage you just to take that and read it to your family, either in the mornings or in the evenings, or maybe just over the dinner table before everyone breaks and runs to do their homework and their hobbies. If you don't have that, you can go see a wonderful fine Christian bookstore in the area that will point you to the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's a great, great storybook Bible that will teach you more about how Jesus is in every page of Scripture than any other tool I've ever seen. I know you're afraid of looking foolish, being incompetent, looking like a failure. But I'll quote one of my uncles who says this, nothing beats a failure like a try. Better to try and fail and learn than to fail to try at all. And notice how our Lord Jesus leads us spiritually in the scriptures. As Thomas had doubts, did Jesus scold Thomas? No, he said, "Come." And he comforted him and said, "Look at the nails in my hands and in my feet and in my side." As Jesus led Peter spiritually after his resurrection, after Peter had denied him 3 times, notice how gracious our Lord Jesus was to Peter that he 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 baked he made Peter breakfast on the beach. And invited Peter to sit down with him and to eat. So our Lord Jesus is going to be gracious to you men. As you seek to lead your home spiritually, he will be far more gracious with you than you perhaps will be with yourself. Which leads us to the last way that we are to represent Jesus. And that is to lead sacrificially. Look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus lead his church? Sacrificially. He did not hesitate to die for her. What's the famous saying from the Titanic when it went down? Women and children first in the lifeboats. Gentlemen, if we're going to represent Jesus, we need to only lead our homes by loving our wives unconditionally and tenderly, and leading them spiritually, but we need to be willing to lead sacrificially. That's what Christ did. Another seminary professor I had was named Doctor Douglas Kelly. How many of you have heard of ever ever heard of D- Doug Kelly? Okay, a couple of you. Doug Kelly is a, is a he's a solid Reformed theologian. Uh, it was uncharacteristic of a Douglas Kelly that one day in, in the middle of a doctrine class he. He started sharing a little bit of a story about a counseling session he encountered. We really didn't know that Dr. Kelly could be this practical. He said, I'll never forget, gentlemen, as he talked in his southern, southern charm and rasp. He said, I'll never forget one time I was counseling a couple. And this man, I discovered that every, every day he would not eat his wife's cooking. She w- he went back to his mama's house and would eat her cooking. And the wife was greatly offended by this. So I met with her, and I listened to her, and then I met with him, and I listened to him, and he said, you just don't know, Dr. Kelly, my wife can't cook. It's horrible. Dr. Kelly said, I looked at the man and said, you know what? By taking a look at you, maybe your wife's bad cooking is God's provision in your life. Because looking at you, you ain't missed too many meals in your life, and you could use to maybe lose a little bit of weight is what he said to him. We were shocked that he said that. I was like, ooh, let us go hide. But what was the point that Douglas Kelly was making to that man? It was this. You're to lead your home even if you lead sacrificially. And he said, made this point. If you're not willing to suffer through a bad meal, then there's no way you're going to measure up to what Christ is ultimately calling you to do in leaving your home sacrificially. So, gentlemen, this is the picture of what Christ has for you in your home. As you represent Jesus. But where's the problem? I'm so glad you asked. The scriptures are very clear about where the problems in our marriage come from. We have to go all the way back to the garden. Into Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. You see, the, the Bible, the Christian faith, provides an explanation for why there are problems in our marriages it all comes as a result of the fall remember God made a covenant with Adam and it said that if you are perfectly obedient to me you will you will receive eternal life and your posterity will receive eternal life but if you eat from the, the tree of the forbidden fruit if you eat the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil then you will surely die and so will all of your posterity uh, die as well that that your relationship with me will be broken, it will be fractured, and physical death will enter the world. Well, we don't have time to re- rehash all of Genesis chapter 3, but what we do have time to take a look at is Genesis chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. At this point in, in history, you notice that this is not just an explanation, this is a historical explanation for why there are problems in our marriage. After Adam makes a sin of commission and eats of the forbidden fruit, What we understand is that immediately he begins to experience shame for his disobedience, shame for his sin, and he understands that he's naked and he begins to hide from God. And so this is the exchange between God and Adam. And he said, I heard the sound of you, Adam's talking to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I love this question. And God says to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The answer is what? Yes. But then notice how, how Adam responds. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So what is the problem with most of our marriages, gentlemen? I'm not saying this to browbeat you, but we need to understand what our sinful tendency is. Our sinful tendency after the fall is not to accept The beautiful responsibility God has given us in marriage to represent Christ, to represent God as good stewards of the family he's given us. But our tendency is to hide. To blame shift. To point fingers. What does Adam say? It's that woman. But not only only does Adam blamed the woman. He blames God. It's the woman you gave to be with me. God, it's, it's your fault and it's her fault because you gave her to be with me and then she gave me the fruit. So, how does this hiding play itself out today? Here's how I think it plays itself out today in the marriage relationship. Guys, that's why we have man caves. That's why we spend extra time in the garage. Can we get real? That's why we take the long way home after work. That's why we may not have to stay after work a little bit longer, but we will. Do you know why? Because our sinful tendency after the fall is to hide from responsibility not be humble, holy servants. Or we go in another direction. We don't hide, but we become harsh. The Scriptures say this in Colossians 3, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Man, I tell you what, I can snap at Jennifer a lot more quickly than I can snap at a woman in the church. I can snap at my wife a lot more quickly than I can snap at an officer in the church. And that's wrong. So, gentlemen, you need to recognize, and wives, you need to recognize that overall your husband's going to have a tendency to go in one of these sinful directions in his leadership at home. He will either have a tendency to want to hide from the leadership responsibility God's given him, or he'll feel like he's got to muscle up the strength and be harsh. But for most of us, we do both. For example, when it comes to kids... Dirty diaper, hide, (laughs) right? Homework, hide. Finances, be harsh. I'm told that Dr. Ball, one of my predecessors, said this in premarital counseling, that changing diapers is the responsibility of both parents, not just the wives. So, gentlemen, what's, what's your tendency? Do you recognize it? Is your tendency to hide or be harsh? But there's a solution. Here's the prescription that the Scriptures give us. Gentlemen, if we're going to represent Jesus, then we need a relationship with Jesus. That's that simple. If you're going to represent Jesus, then you need a, re- a relationship with Jesus. None of us measure up to this standard perfectly because none of us are Jesus. But as we grow in this relationship with Jesus, we should be growing in our leadership at home as well. There's something that we were doing this year that terrified me. We were going through a discipleship curriculum called the Journey Group. And for about four weeks of it, we were in a section on marriage. And we were in this passage of scripture of Ephesians chapter 5 and it asked one of the questions that asked us to answer we wanted to answer honestly was if you're going to give yourself a grade on one to ten how you do in this Ephesians chapter 5 way of loving your wives and Colossians 3 of not being harsh with your wives what grade would you give yourself now, So I'll be honest with you I gave myself a grade of about five to six with one being not so swift ten being perfect I was like mm, about a five or six as we were getting ready to meet as a discipleship group, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just kind of nudging me to ask Jennifer about what she would think about that answer. I was terrified. And I thought, you know, if I ask her this question, I can't be defensive, I can't defend myself, like I just got to take it on the chin. And so one day we were sitting there, we were eating at, at, at the dinner table, and I, I told Jennifer about the question, about the passage. She said, I'm familiar with the passage. She understood the question. And I said, I just want you to be honest with me, babe. Where do you think I would measure up one to ten? She said about a seven or eight. I was like, is there something you want? <laughs> and so we had a conversation. I said, well, why? Because I know how, I know my tendencies. I know my failures. And this is what she said to me. Honey, I know you're not Jesus. And I know you fall far short of that goal. She said, but we've been married 20 years, and I know firsthand how far you've come. That's a picture of grace in marriage. So, friends, gentlemen... The key is if you're going to represent Jesus, you need a relationship with Jesus. And if you're going to grow in your leadership at home, then you need a growing relationship with Jesus. And that's what we want to provide you here at Bar 2 ARP Church. Through Sunday morning worship, through discipleship opportunities, through discipleship relationships, We want to provide you with opportunities where you can have a growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus. That, my friends, will make all the difference in your life and your relationship with your wife. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you assure us that if we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, help us as men here at Bartow ARP Church to be men who repent quickly and repent frequently. It is in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people agreed, saying, Amen.